0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pursue God Podcast. I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer with Pastor Ross. And today, Ross, we're joined in the studio by Pastor Eric because we wanted someone who could really spice up today's conversation. Eric, thanks for joining us. Can't wait to hear. Your Day's going to be juicy. It's going to be juicy yeah. because we're talking today about the Jesus way of saving your marriage. And we're going to look at this passage in scripture where Jesus talks about divorce And so maybe before we even get into what Jesus says about it and and our understanding of this and some of the challenges that we're going to be giving people, I thought maybe we could start right off the bat by addressing the elephant in the room and anyone, Ross, who's listening, who has experience with divorce and maybe could feel a sense of shame or guilt or not certain what they think about that, or what God thinks about that, I don't know what would we say to them first and foremost, so that they'll keep listening to today's? right. well, we we could talk about our own experiences. you know my my
1: first wife passed away, and I married a woman who'd been divorced. so I'm married to a divorce a divorcee. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what what my my approach on this question is obviously it's such a huge issue in our society. So many people have experienced divorce and remarriage, and maybe even multiple divorces that you know, uh, it's so common, that here, here's the approach I want to take, I want to be just as bold and strong on the issues as Jesus is, and I want to be just as compassionate on the issues as Jesus is. So we're really going to try to take, from the Sermon on the Mount here, we're really going to try to take our cue from Jesus, where, where he tells us what really matters the most, and he tells us, you know, what our options are, and what, how much latitude we might have in this area, uh, because I, I ultimately trust Jesus to be compassionate and wise and uh, to really get it right. So that's kind of the, the approach I'm taking. I, I, I want to have a lot of compassion for people. I know that divorce is a result of a lot of very difficult situations that people have, have are in. It, it, sometimes it's a, it's honest to be honest. It's a result of people just making bad choices, and they've opted for... You know the easy way out sometimes and sometimes it's more hard and more complicated than that so we want to be sensitive and compassionate to each person's perspective but we really want we're talking about the jesus way right we really Mm want to know what is jesus way about this and that's where we want to you know hitch our wagon i guess you could say
2: yeah, and the, the interesting thing about this one, though, as we've been walking through the six antitheses, is that this one actually has the least amount of information, the least amount of verses to actually go off of. So we'll have to go to different places in the Bible to see what God does say about divorce.
0: But um... yeah, this is one where we wish Jesus said more, right? This, there's two verses on this antithesis out of the six. Uh, remember, the antitheses of Jesus are where Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said this one thing. And so he's calling to qu- calling into question the essentially the Pharisees' interpretation of the Old Testament law. He, he doesn't say it is written, this one thing. He says, you've heard that it was said, this one thing. And then he says, but I'm going to tell you something else. So as we've said before, Ross, he's appealing to his authority. He, it's also pointed to the fact that the, that the whole Old Testament law points forward to the way of Jesus. So when we get to today's passage, I'll read it here in a second, we, I personally had hoped that this was the one that he gave the most on, because I personally need more teaching from Jesus on this matter uh, than, than on really any of these other ones, because this is the one that for us as pastors, it comes up all the time, right, guys? We sometimes, unfortunately, people come to us and say, would you marry, would you marry me and my girlfriend? Mm-hmm. And what I would love to be, I'm a people pleaser. I'd love to be able to say, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd be happy to. But what we've learned in ministry is that we have to sit down with them and hear their story. And if they've been divorced, then we, we, as pastors, we need to make a decision about whether we're comfortable performing uh, the wedding ceremony. In other words, are we going to put our stamp of approval on this, on this marriage? And maybe we should... Even admit right here that some pastors on staff. What we tell the pastors is, look, it needs you need to have a your own conviction about this topic, divorce and divorce and remarriage, and um, and there's some general parameters that we all have. But then I think there's some distinctives where some guys might be comfortable. Right, Ross, you were even sharing that one pastor on our staff wasn't comfortable doing your marriage, but he was happy to do your premarital. Right. He had a little
1: bit of a of a stricter interpretation of the passage that we're looking at today yeah. than I do or that I think most people do. I think what we're going to see as we dig into this is that there's there's a pattern that God gives that's the ideal, and we all agree on that, and where we, where we maybe have differences of, minor differences of perspective are, are how that gets worked out in a broken world. Now let me just say that, Brian, I appreciate what you're bringing that up, but when we say that whether I have to decide whether I feel comfortable doing a, a marriage or a wedding ceremony or not, it's not really about my comfort level from a subjective perspective. It's whether or not I feel like the, the marriage stands on solid biblical grounds. And if right. there's biblical grounds, then we marry. Because we feel like, the, Jesus says, there's, cer- there's some certain norms about marriage that we feel like uh, we have to uphold. When you make that decision.
2: Yeah, and and for me, you know, as you brought up earlier, wanting to set people um, in the right foundation, the right framework for marriage, my conviction has always been um, I do want to be, you know, first and foremost in line with the Word of God as a pastor. I want to do the right thing. I want to set people up for success. And so not only do I want to, you know, hear their story, but I also. Uh, need to know if they're going to stay married. You know, that's one of the things why we make premarital counseling such a big deal is because we're giving them principles that are going to help them uh, for a lifetime because Mm -hmm. we do know that divorce is not God's
0: best for his people. Right. Yeah, I remember a couple that came to me one time at church. They, They were new to the church. They came up to me after the service. They said, we loved your sermon. We're new to the area. Hey, could we talk with you? And so we, so I took them back to the office after the service and I sat them down. I could tell they were a little bit uncomfortable. It was a younger couple, and they said, "We love each other. We want to get married, and we would love for you to do our wedding." And I thought that was really a little bit strange at first, but I thought, you know, they're new to the area. Maybe they're, maybe they're just. And they were clearly Christians. Well, as I talked with them, I, f- I learned that, that they had both just divorced their spouses, and they're in their like early mid twenties. They had both divorced their spouses because they felt like they had married the wrong person. They'd been married for a couple years, and now they realized that they were wrong. They were repenting of that, and they, they cut it off with their previous spouses, like literally months before this conversation. And they were, they were really excited to get married and wanted me to do the wedding because rem- I reminded them of their pastor back home. And I just had to stop them and say, hey, guys, what you're doing is wrong you guys should go back to your spouses, and here's why. And I read some scripture to them, and I remember the guy, you could tell the guy, the Holy Spirit was working on the, on the guy. He realized that I was right, and the, and the woman got mad at me and started yelling at me and started berating me. And I just had to stop him, and I said, listen, guys, I, I get it. I understand. I understand how emotional this must be for you, but you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't want... To be married in a Bible-believing church by a pastor like me and probably like your pastor back at home, because my guess is their pastor at home would have said the same thing. Because I said, you can't, you can't go to a church like this where we really uphold God's word and we want to live according to God's word, and yet do something that is so clearly against God's word. This is, I said, there are some, there's plenty of black and white when it comes to this, right, Ross? Like your situation, I think would be that'd be a little bit of gray. But this right here was black and white. I don't, I don't think anyone on our staff would have, had, would have done anything differently. We would have said the same, same thing. So I had to tell this young couple, guys, if you want to get married in a church, there are plenty of churches in the area that don't believe in the Bible. <laughs> that's where you're going to have to go. But see, the problem is they don't want to go to a church like that because that's, they know that that's not what they need, and they, they're not going to agree with most of what that church teaches. But to me, this is one, guys, where I, I feel like sometimes Christians will give themselves a pass on this topic because they, because they want to get out of a marriage.
1: Yeah, because of their emotions and also because it's just the prevalent norm of our society.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and when I, when I went through premarital counseling, I remember the, uh, the people doing it told me, you have to go into this with, with divorce not being an option. And that's something that me and my wife is, have stuck by. Even some of our hardest fights, we I always go back to that. You remember what our pastors said to us. Divorce is not an option, so you're not going anywhere,
0: woman. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. What a great segue. What yeah. a great segue, Eric, to our <laughs> verses for the day. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says this. Here's the third antithesis of Jesus in Matthew 5. He says, You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. Clearly, you can tell how Jesus says this, that he's really talking about this in, this interpretation of God's principle. But here's what he says in verse 32. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So again, Ross, this is the one where the pastor who did your premarital read this verse and said, based on this verse, I'm not comfortable with you marrying this this other person, even though she had your wife's wonderful and and she had biblical grounds for divorce, certainly. So he had a different perspective than you on this. He was trying to be gracious with you, but he had to right. draw a line.
1: Right. And so, because he understood that Jesus makes an exception. Now, the in the Old Testament law in deuteronomy 24 that's where jesus is referring to where it permits divorce the woman had to receive a certificate and that was a protection for her so that people knew that she didn't just run away from some husband or whatever Mm. there's some other provisions in there jesus says look that and the certificate's given on very vague terms and it became in the history of judaism different schools of interpretation arose that some said well that could be anything she cooked a lousy meal that's justification. Or others would say, no, the justification is, is more strict than that. Well, Jesus still allows a justification here, but his justification doesn't follow any of the Jewish schools of interpretation. Um, his grounds for divorce is, is, pre- is more narrow than any of them. Hmm. Um, he says, look, if the marriage is broken through sexual immorality, that's what that word faithfulness in the NLT says, it's sexual immorality, a broad word, then then there's grounds for divorce so that applied to my wife but but our friend the pastor who who didn't want to do my marriage he thought that that applied to the next clause as well that um, it gives you grounds for divorce but not grounds for remarriage that's Mm -hmm. where he was coming from and and some scholars believe that that's how some scholars read that passage the point being that um you know jesus is is trying to show us that there's a heart behind the law. The heart is God's heart. Here is the preservation of a marriage. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I just want to say, you know, again, as kind of prefacing this whole thing, as you're as you're saying that, you know, I've listened to a lot about this as we prepared this this lesson, and some some of my you know favorite preachers would even that people would say are pretty harsh have have, have reminded me that. God has taking, taken broken situations and blessed them and ch- turned and changed them for good. And so even in divorced and remarried couples, God is working in them. And so if you didn't follow all the rules and make all the right decisions, and then now you're, you're growing more in the Lord and you're understanding, like I don't want you to second guess your entire life and all, all the decisions that you've ever made. You know, the Bible's pretty clear that when you come to the Lord, um, he wants you to remain in the situation that you're in. But if you didn't quite understand God and his word and you're in a situation where you, you're looking back and you're, you're questioning, you know, the relationships you've had and divorces. I, I just want to say that, that God is in the business of taking um, broken situations and bad, bad decisions and things that have happened in the past and he changes them and, and uses them for good.
0: Yeah, and I want to say, yeah, so two things. I want to say something to the person who's already divorced and has moved on. That door is closed. Don't let the enemy use our words or God's word to to create a sense of guilt in your life and shame in your life. I think you need to move forward in freedom. Certainly, if you've gotten remarried, I think you need to do everything you can to make your current marriage, even even if listening to this or hearing these words casts some some doubt on your mar- on that second marriage or that whatever the marriage that you're in right now I just encourage you to move forward in freedom and to and to recognize that God's grace covers like you're saying Eric but then I would maybe even more importantly I would say to the person who's listening to this podcast who is listening to it looking for a reason to divorce looking for grounds for divorce and this is what some people do when they come to this passage Be honest with yourself. Look into your own heart and say, "Am I? Am I? Am I digging through Scripture to try to find a loophole, to try to find a grounds for me to be divorced and feel okay about it?" Be honest with yourself and let the Holy Spirit shine, kind of a spotlight on your own soul in that area. Because I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting to. He's getting at this loophole in the letter of the law that that the Pharisees like to sort of exploit and and. And fight over, right? And Jesus is trying to get at the heart that God has, not for divorce, but for marriage. Mm -hmm. And so, why don't we start by painting a picture for marriage? Because marriage was God's idea. And it's more than just a piece of paper that we're talking about with divorce. So, let's go beyond, let's go beyond sort of the the, the institution of marriage, the, the legal institution of marriage where we've got this divorce paper and all the, the laws around it. And let's kind of go to the next level up and look at what God had in mind for it all along. And it starts in Genesis 2.
2: Yeah. When, when God created man and woman, he said it was very good. But before he had created woman, he, he uh, looked around and the man, man was alone. And in verse 18 of chapter 2 of Genesis, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Right. And so God, um, his whole design and idea for marriage was so that human beings could thrive and multiply and reproduce and experience love and relationship. You know, it was all about blessing. God wanted um, a beauty. He created a a beautiful thing in in the union of marriage. And so in verse 24, he says, this explains then why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. You know, the this saying is true is that the the marriage relationship is unlike any other relationship on earth. It's the only one where you're actually spiritually united as two becoming one. you know, there's also some physical implications to that also. but but God is saying that you two now are this 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 united, this this union of two people into one, you know, all, all that that can mean in, in mirroring God's image, and, and it just is a beautiful example um, that God created, and it's not supposed to be broken apart. It's not just a piece of paper that can be torn up, right, or, or, or rewritten. Um, it's meant to last for the lifetime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so it's really good to understand. It's really important to understand this is God's original design, and in, an, in other passages, Jesus argues, he, didn't, he doesn't do it here in Matthew 5, but in Matthew 19 and, and in Mark, he argues back to that. He says, look, this is the real fundamental way to understand marriage, is you've got to go back to the original design of it. And that kind of trumps even the law of Moses, because, it, because it's, it's original. So say what, How did God design it to be? And God designed it to be it was part of, look, when God brought the man and the woman together, they're living in the Edenic garden, you know, this is a paradise situation. And so this is part of God's good, good creation, part of God's good provision for his creatures to live in this kind of relationship together. And so thank you, God, you know. Now, now sin came in the world, and that, that made it hard, right? But thank you, God, for, for setting this a wonderful relationship up.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes in marriage counseling, Tracy, my wife, who's a counselor, she'll, we'll, we'll be sitting there together, listening to the marital troubles of this couple that's sitting in front of us. And I'll be, I'll be sort of curled up in a fetal position. <laughs> Cause I'm not sure what to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I listen to something and I internalize it and I empathize. And I honestly, in my head, many times this has happened many times. I've just thought to myself, this is hopeless. This marriage is hopeless. I can't, ima- I can't even believe what I'm hearing right now and what this must feel like for this poor couple who's going through this, all these trials. And Tracy will listen to the same thing, and then when they're done, she'll just say, can we just stop, and can I, ask, can I just ask you to go back to a time when your marriage was great? Go back to when you were dating. Go back to when you first got married. Describe that. And it's so interesting how they can describe this picture of Eden, right? This picture of this... There's a reason they came together. There was a time when things were good, and then sin, sin gets involved, and pretty soon you get to this place, and maybe couples are listening to this right now thinking, you can't, you can't even think of any other option but divorce because you've lost your vision for marriage, for what God wanted in the first place. And it's not just in the Bible. It's not just in Adam and Eve. It's actually, it was It was probably at one point, it was probably existent in your own marriage. You probably had it in your own marriage. And it's helpful to go back to that and say, we can get back there. It doesn't have to be this complicated.
2: Yeah. It, well, as you were talking about, you know, the sin coming in, it's, it's interesting because just shortly after men and women were brought together, um, you know, sin kind of hurt that relationship. Now, it didn't tear it apart, but... Uh, there was some consequences in, in Genesis chapter three that the the man and the woman were gonna basically almost have enmity um, in their own relationship, you mm. know, st- struggling with roles and understanding who's supposed to do what. And but if if we keep this picture in mind, like Jesus does, as Ross brought up, uh, you know, Mark ten, Mark ten. Um, in verse 6, it says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And, and he goes, to, goes on to quote, there, Therefore a man shall, not, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Um, as he goes back to the created order, he's going back before the sin happened. Like what you're saying, go back to the time... Go back to the time of Eden in your marriage. You know, mm-hmm. go back to the time where things were good before it got out of control. Before um, both of your guys's ugly sides came out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's one of the things that we do in, in in marriage counseling too. You try to pre-marriage counseling. You try to try to get people to know each other better. Right? Let's get let's get the stuff out on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of things. Me and my wife got married pretty quickly. You know. 5 months after knowing each other. Wow. 5 months. Wow. Probably had a lot to do with well, she was really attractive, but also had a lot to do with uh I mean, growing up, you know, in Utah, it was really hard to find a Christian woman. Mm. And so finally like we we met each other and it was like are you a Christian? Yeah. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Okay, this is great, you know. <laughs>
0: The bar was plenty low. It's yeah. just here. You know, we check off those things. You got all your teeth? Great. Let's move <laughs> forward. Right. Um,
2: but but because we got married so quickly, um, we 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 neglected to share a lot of the bad parts about mm-hmm. each other. And so the first couple years of our marriage was actually really tough because we were starting to figure out who each other really was. Now. I can use the excuse that back in biblical times they 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 had uh, arranged marriages. So mm. uh, you know, let's not have too comp- too much compassion on me and the whole situation. See, they
1: could blame it on their parents. Then, yeah, you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And so we we got married quickly, and and part of it was to you know heal us from our our sinful natures. We needed to you know, as First Corinthians seven talks about, if you burn with passion, you should get married. You know, marriage is. Still a good thing, even though it's a tough thing, it's a good thing. And but but as I was thinking about this, um yeah, marriage is supposed to be based centrally on God, though, you know, and that's that's one of the things I try to bring out in premarital premarital counseling is what is each other's commitments to God's design for marriage and, and a biblical worldview. Um because you know, there's other place in the Bible that says not to be yoked together with unbelievers, and and for me that it's not necessarily talking exclusively about marriage, but it certainly comes into context for me when I'm thinking about mar- marrying two people is you both ought to be Christians, um, because if I decide to marry a Christian and a non-Christian, I'm I'm not setting them up for success. They're going to be struggling that believer is going to be struggling the rest of their life trying to drag this other person to church um, and and what might happen is actually the, the non-believer might you know um, influence them to to not put the Lord first as a priority and so setting them up for success going back to the idea that this was God's design divorce isn't an option and it's not just a piece of paper, um, God. This is a sacred union that right. God created, and 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 so we should take this seriously. And that's why this topic is so kind of juicy. Like I said earlier, I mean, this is one of those ones where it's like we need to know what we believe about this, and we really want to get it right because there's so many implications and consequences to getting it wrong.
1: Yeah.
0: And what I tell couples that are that are coming to me about this. I, I always like to say, look, you need to read these verses. I want you to read these verses for yourself because I can't convict somebody's heart, but hopefully God through his word, the Holy Spirit can use God's word, verses like these to convict a person's heart to say, I'm I'm not going to look for the easy way out. Because I, I really think that's what this passage is getting at is Jesus is getting at the fact that divorce is not the easy way out. It It causes this ripple effect that disrupts the whole family and we see it even in in verse 32 where he said if you give if you give your wife a certificate of divorce then you're making her commit adultery. I think it's so interesting that Jesus says it like that. It reminds me of the the first antithesis where he's talking about anger and then he flips the script and he doesn't he's not talking about you being angry at someone else. He's talking about someone else being angry at you that you should think about anger from their point of view. And this is what he's doing once again in this passage. He's saying, if you if you give someone a certificate of divorce, it's not that it's not just that you're committing adultery; you're making her commit adultery. So he's getting. He's, Jesus is trying to get you to think about the impact that divorce is going to have on the woman, a, and then also we can talk about kids. Yeah, the children,
1: and, and you know, and there's even a bigger impact too. On, I mean, how many times have you been? Like you see, a divorce that happens within the context of a church or even a friend group, and what people are forced to take sides. People feel like they're pushed one way or the other, and so so somebody's divorce can just ripple through a, a whole community, really, and and affect um, more than even just the nuclear family.
2: Yeah, I was uh, thinking about going back to Mark ten or Matthew nineteen, where Jesus, you know, expounds a little bit more on divorce, and and he basically. Uh, helps them understand, I mean, divorces because of maybe some selfish reasons that you have, you know, divorce is not without many consequences. And he says, yeah, Moses granted you uh, a certificate of divorce because of your hardness of heart, you know, and so people have a, a hardness of heart. Um, it's usually always an inward, like, I don't deserve this. Why do I have to go with go through this? I shouldn't feel this way. And therefore, because I'm falling out of love or not feeling like loving anymore, instead of, you know, we say love is a choice, not just a feeling in mm-hmm. our premarital counseling that we do. But this is going the opposite. This is saying, no, I don't feel like loving. My heart is hard. I don't want to love this person anymore. And so... Um, they think that this is the easy way out mm-hmm. because if I'm not feeling like doing it and it's getting hard and I'm not liking the way they're treating me or they've done something to offend me um, then I can just I can I can just move on you know that's the that's the way of our culture if you don't like it move on Burger King have it your way right yeah. you can yeah. you can do what makes you feel right but Jesus goes beyond that and he's saying no don't be selfish, you know, when you are selfish, um, when you choose to do things only because of the way that you feel, and you don't consider everyone else around you, then you're hurting everyone else also, right? And and so Jesus taught us that forgiveness was what was going to change the world. Forgiveness turns the world upside down. And this this clearly says, you know, your, heart, your hearts are hardened, but that's not how I would have it. If we go back to the beginning of creation, God says, let, let man not separate the two that have become one. And I think of this illustration. Um, I was taught, I don't know, maybe in a Christian youth group a long time ago, and it was really probably more about premarital sex. But I think the illustration still fits. Is you know That's, that's another image of the two becoming one. But the, the illustration goes like this. Um, when you when you're intimate that way, or if you're married, right, and the two become one, think of a paper, uh, a blue paper heart and a pink paper heart, and then you glue them together.
0: Construction paper?
2: Yes, construction paper. Yeah. You've heard this. I, I, I
0: was in youth group, too. <laughs> yeah. I think my youth pastor went to the same seminary. Yeah. And then you peel it apart. What are you going to see, Brian, on, on those two pieces of paper? You're going to see some blue and yellow on both sides. Yeah, you're tearing it apart. It's all ripped up. It's going to yeah. stay. It's gonna st- you tore a little bit of you. You gave a little bit of you to her. She mm-hmm. gave a little bit of her to you. And
2: there's going to be that, that pain that you're carrying or the other person's carrying for the rest of their life, and I'm sure if you're listening to this and, and that has been you, you know, you
1: know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. and it, it, does, it, it seems like the easy way out in the short run because I, I don't know, guys, how many times I've talked to somebody who said, said you know, when I, well, as soon as I left, you know, filed for divorce, whatever, I had so much peace. Like, they're thinking, well, God must approve that, you know? Mm. Of course you have peace. You just walked out on a conflict situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you're not going, but of course you had peace. Right. Because you're a coward and you couldn't solve it, you know? Mm. Like I, so recently on a Sunday after a, a message, um, a woman came up for prayer. Sally and I prayed, my wife Sally and I prayed for her because her husband is having um, uh, an affair. And he's left, left the home. He won't file for divorce. He's still paying the bills and stuff. But she wants this, this woman wants to restore their marriage, their family. And he says, "Well, I'm so happy." And it's, she says, "Of course you're happy because you just go over to her house, and and you don't have to do any dishes. You know, you don't have to see her do laundry. You don't have to meet her mother. You know, you, all these things. Of course you feel happy because you haven't made any kind of real commitment, and so you're living in this bubble, this this dream bubble for a little while, and that feels like the like an easy way out. But but the long run, I think about the consequences." for for their number of kids and for all the people involved in the situation. It's not the easy way out um, in the end.
0: Well, here's how, here's how God said it in the Old Testament, even. This is a real famous verse about divorce. Most people probably don't know where this comes from, but everybody knows this phrase that God hates divorce. It comes from Malachi 2, verse 16. He says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, God of Israel. But look at what he says next. Most people don't know this is what he says to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. It's not—once uh, again, look at what God's doing. He's trying to get men, and it, for women too, but, but certainly in, in the day back then, women women didn't have the same opportunities as men did, so it really was genuinely cruel to women to just divorce her, certainly divorce her for no reason, but to divorce her, put her out, and, and now she's destitute potentially. He says, don't overwhelm her with cruelty. The point is, is he's trying to get the spouse to look at divorce through the eyes of the other person. I want to think about the other person now. And that, to me, that, that extends not just to your wife. As I said, it extends to your kids. Look at what Malachi 2.15 says, the, just the previous verse. It says, what does God want? He wants godly children from your union. So again, to go back to this vision for marriage... God's vision for your marriage is that you love your wife, husbands. It's that you, you, husband and wife, raise children to be godly. This is why God commands through Malachi, he commands husbands to guard their hearts. And remember what heart is. Heart is the, is the seed of your, your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. So your mind, your will, your emotions. Guard your hearts instead of just saying what this husband said, and we see this all the time. You know, I don't I don't love you anymore. I've mm-hmm. fallen out of love with you. And now you just you move on. And there's just all this all this pain in your wake. Right. To include the kids.
2: Yeah. And it just really reminds me that going back to the first point that God's design for marriage was for blessing. Right. It was it was sacred. And it was for, as you just read in Malachi, too, not just for husband and wife to benefit, but also for procreation and for the, the children to be raised in a, a godly home, you know, so that God would be glorified through marriage. That's ultimately what God wants. And, but when we break that, we're, we're basically breaking not only the relationship, the direct relationship of the marriage, but we're, we're harming kids. I mean, so many kids have been affected by divorce, and it, go, it it causes lasting consequences for generations mm-hmm. because mm. kids are getting this example that love isn't sacrificial, love doesn't have to be selfish. Selfish love is just some feeling that I can, I can, that comes and goes, and and I can go find it
1: when I've lost it. Right, it has a shelf life, and then you just you know order another one. So you know the idea that Divorce is the easy way out. I just want to share, be vulnerable with you guys and share you know, my situation a little bit. After my wife passed away, as I mentioned, I married a woman who had been divorced. So Jesus makes an exception for sexual immorality. He says that so, you know, it's never, and that exception is never like, oh, somebody just crossed that line, so I'm going to rush out and get a divorce right now. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, when my wife was the victim of that from her first husband... She hung in there, she she tried to rebuild the marriage, she was committed to the marriage, committed to God's standards. For several years she hung in there, eventually he persisted, and and she has biblical grounds for divorce, that's why I felt like I, I could marry her. But she has biblical grounds for divorce, but that doesn't mean there weren't consequences. Mm-hmm. You know her kids, each one of them in their own way, they were different ages at the time, but each one of them has baggage from the divorce, There's there's Baggage, there's awkwardness in the extended family, and uh, there, there's finan- there were financial repercussions. Um, so even though her divorce is permit- permissible under you know the the scenario that Jesus set up, it still it still wasn't um, God's best. It still didn't live up to God's original design because of choices that people made in it, and. Um, and, and it still, it didn't end up being an easy way out either. There mm-hmm. was still a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty mm-hmm. even to this day in different ways.
0: Yeah, but in, in, many, in many senses, Ross, your wife modeled the Jesus way, which is what we want to get to today. The Jesus way teaches us to be selfless and fight for our marriage. It doesn't, that doesn't always mean that your, your marriage isn't going to end in divorce, but certainly if you're a Christian husband or wife, Jesus wants you to be selfless. Jesus wants you to fight for your marriage. Jesus wants you to be committed to your marriage. And and really the best example of this that we have is, is Ephesians 5, Jesus himself. Talk about the Jesus way. Now, Jesus wasn't ever married, but what we see in Ephesians 5, verse 25, shows us how this connects to the marriage covenant. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, Christ was sacrificial for the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. He even goes as far as to say, verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he's talking about husbands loving your wives because this is the Jesus way. At the heart of who Jesus is, is he's selfless. And so first and foremost, I would say, guys, we would be talking to husbands. You need to be the spiritual leaders of your marriages, Mm -hmm. of your homes, and you need to be selfless. Because a lot of times it's like nobody's willing to be selfless. No one's willing to be the bigger person. Well, sorry guys, if if that's the case in your marriage, then you need to step up. You need. Jesus went to the cross for the church. We didn't go to the cross for
2: him. You know, I think about as Jesus was, you know, teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, and maybe there were people in earshot, but. Certainly the culture at the time, um, as we talked about earlier in the series, that, that the Pharisees didn't have the full picture, and they've probably misinterpreted a lot of God's laws and rules and started making all these loopholes, and a, a lot for selfish reasons. And, and so they probably misunderstood marriage, too. You know, it's possible that the Pharisees um, were domineering, maybe, and treated in that culture, they treated their wives or, or women in a lower standard. And, and it's almost as if Jesus is, is, is trying to correct that. You know, quit being cruel to her, right? And then and then Paul quoting Jesus in Ephesians 5, you should lay down your life. This is the one you've become one with. You should cherish her and and love her and care for her as if she is a part of your own body. And so what we see here is a couple of different things, I think, in, in Ephesians chapter five is one is the, the example of Christ's sacrificial love. He laid down his life, all of his cares, his wants, um, his desire to not have to suffer. He laid that down and suffered so that his wife could be made holy. But the other interesting thing about this is that this tells us that it just builds on the, the the sacredness of marriage even more, telling us that marriage is this living illustration of God's love for his people. You see, he has this undying, this covenant that can't be broken, this love for us that, that is unmatched in all the world. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we're, we're, that means to be little Christs out there. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to live an example and become more and more like Christ. And as, as Christians, then, how much more than should our first priority of trying to be like Christ, be with the first person that God gave us in this life, mm-hmm. with our wife, we're we're laying down our life. We have this covenant that can't be broken. That we're we're willing to die. We're willing to suffer. Right? That's that's really what our marriages should look like. And I believe that's what Paul is is trying to teach us there. Is that there's a covenant that Jesus made with us, and when God created marriage, He was actually pointing to. Um, that covenant that he made with us, and now all of us in our marriages are walking around as little examples of the love of God to his people.
1: Yeah, what would it be like, if you can imagine our society with divorce being so prevalent, what would it be like if the marriages that really lasted and the ones that were really satisfying and rich and fulfilling were the Christians? Mm. What kind of witness would that have? But instead we kind of see that for for professing Christians, the statistics pretty much mirror the statistics of the world around us. So it's a great point, Eric. Another reason why uh, marriage really, really matters in God's way.
0: Well, not just to the world around us, but even just to our kids. Mm -hmm. You know, our kids are the ones who get the front row seat to our marriages. So even just, I'd be satisfied if just in our homes that we we had husband and wife that stick it out, that model what Christ modeled, the selfless sacrifice that he modeled, and, and that our Christian kids would see it. Because I, I bet you so many more kids would follow Jesus. <laughs> yeah, really. Because they would say, I see it. I see this model. I see what Jesus is talking about here. And I see I see the example of this in my mom and my dad. I know I can say that that's true. in my In my family, my parents weren't perfect. My dad wasn't a perfect husband, and my mom wasn't a perfect wife. But they've stuck it out, and that's made a difference to me. That's been an example for me and all of their kids is to see through thick and thin. My dad even recently even said that this is what our vows were about. We, you know, we, we, I, I said for better or for worse, my mom's starting to have some memory problems. And my dad said, I'm going to commit to this. I I love her. And, and I'm going to stick this out, man, that, that's, that doesn't just feel good for my mom, but that really reaffirms to me that there is a God because he's reflected in my dad. Yeah. Right, and that's how we need to be. That's how we need to think about it for our families as well.
2: Yeah, and you know, marriage marriage is difficult. Um marriage is is like a mirror to how life is difficult, but we're we're meant to endure, you know, and especially as Christians, I kind of want to end with the gospel, you know. I want to talk about how this picture of of Jesus laying down his life um for us is so that we can be forgiven. And so if you've been affected by divorce today, I don't want you to leave this podcast or leave listening to this with with shame and guilt, but just reflection on, you know, how beautiful marriage is and how sacred it should be and, and how it should be protected. But also, I just want you to know that, you know, Jesus, as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, this is kind of what I think the key is to the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of ideas that, yeah, this is, this is Jesus's deep, deeper teachings to be a Christian, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, true, I think, but I think Jesus was setting up um, the, the, the preamble to the gospel. He was trying to explain to people that none of you can be perfect. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 5, verse 48, he says, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, right? And so we know that that applies to no one. We can't do that. And I, I believe what Jesus was doing as he was drilling down deeper on, on lust, and he was drilling down deeper on anger, and he's drilling down on the law of divorce, and he's going to keep drilling down on things. It's not so that we can become better law followers like the Pharisees. Hmm. He's trying to show us that none of you are exempt from um, not being able to follow my way. Yeah, None of you have, have perfectly done this, and this is why I had to come in the first place. And so I hope that you guys understand as you're listening that all of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, But Jesus Christ comes, and He's a model and an example to us to show us how to live, but then He died for us so that we could live eternally without guilt and shame, and God can certainly bless any situation right now. There are many people that have been divorced and are are going on to live great Christian lives, and they've been forgiven and set free, and their families are being healed as we speak, but As long as we learn to follow the Jesus way in marriage, I believe that we're going to understand how to deal with this topic, divorce, when it comes up like a passage like we're reading
0: today. Yeah, that's good. Well, if anyone out there wants to dig more into this topic with your family, with your small group, or one-on-one in a discipling relationship, you can find this lesson. This is lesson number three in our Jesus Way series. Find it all online at PursueGod.org forward slash Jesus way. And make sure to join us next week when we're going to talk about the Jesus way of keeping your promises. It's going to be a great one. That's probably not very understood among most Christians. So make sure to join us next week. We'll see you then.